Hi, I'm LaShonda Hirsch from Kiev Oblast, Ukraine. I'm a virtual bookkeeper for small businesses. I love listening to Compelled. It reminds me how amazing God is. The God I see working and performing miracles among the people of this country is doing the same in the lives of His children an ocean away. Enjoy today's episode. It was a different mindset that we had. We were like, yes, we are sick, but we're not going to let that, we're not going to let that own us. We're not going to let that keep us, you know, down. We're going to literally walk by faith. I'm Paul Hastings, and you're listening to Season 3 of Compelled, a podcast with unique stories from the kingdom of God told by the people compelled to live for Him. This is our third to last episode of the season, and whether you've been listening to us the whole time or this is your first episode, we're glad you're here. In our last episode, we heard from Laura Perry and her mother, Francine. As a young woman, Laura rejected God and hated her own body. She thought that she would find answers by transgendering herself into a man. But after living as a transgender man for almost 10 years, she realized that the creator of the universe had a far greater plan for her life. You can hear that story by tuning into episode 37 with Laura and Francine Perry. Today, our guests are Josh and Amy Glasscock. As a child, Josh was diagnosed with a rare genetic disease called cystic fibrosis, which has no cure and always causes death in its victims. But instead of shutting down and resigning himself to a defeated existence doomed to die, Josh and his wife Amy believe that God has called them to live a full and abundant life. And as you will soon hear, they have. Their story coming up right after a word from our sponsors. If you have children, then either you or another family that you know of has most likely been the recipient of an unexpected visit from Child Protective Services. Not because of something you've done wrong, but because of a misunderstanding that hopefully was quickly resolved. But what if the social worker was there about something else, like a vaccination decision, an accident, a disagreement with a doctor, or a report by an angry neighbor or disgruntled family member, or a false allegation of abuse or neglect? What would you do? Who would you call? The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services reports that every year, over 4 million reports of child abuse and neglect are made in the U.S., but 80% of those are unfounded. This means that millions of innocent families every year in America are forced to endure the trauma of going through a Child Protective Services investigation without cause. If that happens to you, you don't have to do it alone. Since 2010, my friends at Heritage Defense have been providing 24-7 direct access to experienced Christian attorneys ready to protect your children and defend your God-given parental rights. By joining Heritage Defense, families get full legal representation in any case with Child Protective Services. Plus, families can schedule a consultation with a Heritage Defense attorney to get your parental rights questions answered. I personally know several of their attorneys and went to church with two of them for over a decade, and I can testify that they are knowledgeable, gracious, love the Lord, and eagerly want to serve and protect your family. Learn more at heritagedefense.org. Again, that's heritagedefense.org. Last October, I sat down with Josh and Amy inside their house in Burnett, Texas. I had driven about an hour to see them, and the scenery was beautiful. Rolling hills, lush grass, and old oak trees. A beautiful setting for a wonderful couple. 
We have several mutual friends and have seen each other at various social functions over the years, but have only really spoken in depth once or twice. In fact, the last substantive conversation I'd had with them had been almost two years ago, right in the middle of some of the stories that you'll hear today. Josh started his story from the beginning, describing how his family initially discovered that he had cystic fibrosis when he was still a child. When I was born in uh, 1984, they uh, actually did not know what was wrong with me at the time. They knew that I had real bad uh, lung issues, digestive issues, uh, you know, just health issues, but they didn't know exactly what was wrong. And so it wasn't until my brother was born uh, in 87 that they automatically found out and tested him for cystic fibrosis, and he was positive. Well, then my mom was just like, wait, they're, they have the same symptoms. And so they were like, no, that's, that, that doesn't happen. Like, it was very rare that time for multiple people, siblings, to have cystic fibrosis. Because at that time, they didn't know that it was a genetic disorder. So they tested me, and I was positive. And then that was like, okay, the doctor set us down. And they were like, okay, so let's just go ahead and spell it out for you. This is a child disease, okay? This typically does not, you do not get in adulthood. Most people will not make it to 18. So your, your, your sons will more than likely not uh, be able to get in adulthood. They'll not graduate high school. They'll not go to college. They'll not get married. They won't have kids. They won't live a normal life. And so we just want to kind of let you know ahead of time that that's going to be the case. Then they brought up the question. So we're like, okay, kind of, you know, thrown back by that. Um, but then they started to ask the question of this. They're like, well, who is going to raise the kids? And we're like, they're, my parents are like, what? What do you mean? They're like, well, typically when we give, you know, we, we tell people that you have, uh, you know, your children have CF, there's a divorce. I, and it's very high. Like all my friends growing up that had cystic fibrosis, they're, they're all of them were had separate you know households because wow. that type of thing hits people you know people that aren't rooted in the lord or people that aren't grown up in that you know it just it, it just splits up the family and so my parents were like no we're not we're gonna raise because they had that root they had that foundation in the lord and so they were like no we're gonna raise our kids and we're gonna teach them grow up fearing the lord you know, and so I'm very thankful that that was the case because that foundation of faith and having a positive mindset as far as going into life was pivotal. Throughout the interview, you'll hear us use the term CF, which stands for cystic fibrosis. And for those that don't know, cystic fibrosis is a genetically inherited disease that causes the lungs and digestive organs to create too much mucus and fluids. And while that may not sound like a big deal, it really is. The mucus is especially sticky and thick and begins to block critical tubes, ducts, and airways in patients. This, in turn, creates frequent lung infections and can make it difficult to breathe. The body never stops creating the extra mucus, and in some ways, it's like drowning in your own fluids. Over time, the damage to the lungs and other organs becomes permanent and irreversible, and the patient eventually suffocates to death or dies from other complications. Looking from the outside, you wouldn't necessarily be able to tell anything different about someone that has CF. 
not until their condition has progressed far enough that their lungs and other organs have begun wearing out. In America, roughly 30,000 people have CF. There is no cure, and the condition always results in death. And so, growing up, Josh had a very unique perspective about his limited time here on Earth, a perspective that would play an important role over the years to come. The Lord has shown me that even if I had the worst illness throughout my whole life, this is, this is only a vapor. Life is only a vapor. I really love that scripture where it talks about that. You know, cherish life here on earth greatly, but realize that it's a vapor. It's going to be here and gone tomorrow. So all your, your worries, your cares in this world is nothing compared to the everlasting, eternal time we're going to have with the Lord. And so that, for me, was always a, 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 a peace, I always knew that, like, hey, even if I didn't make it to adulthood, that, hey, you know, I could be with the Lord forever. So it goes back to that of, you know, what my pastor talks about. If you have Christ, you have everything. Uh, whereas people that, people could go through this whole life being healthy and not having any issues, but then die and go in hell. And so I just think of all the martyrs throughout history, even, even children, their professing faith, and they only died for that. What greatness do they have, you know, the glory in heaven with the Lord, you know? And so for me, it's always been that of literally like, as I'm growing up, I realize that, hey, you know what? I have a, God has shown me that literally I have a, a closer walk with him in the sense that knowing like I can go at any moment. Because with cystic fibrosis, there's multiple things that can happen. Uh, it can be a quick infection. Boom, you get an infection and you, you go out. But the other side of that is you, uh, you, you're you losing lung function over time. And you never get it back. As you well. never really kind of get it back, you know, as to what all growing up that was the case. You never really get it back because you have that damage and damage and damage. So if you can imagine, it's just like a battery, you know, over time, the battery's going to run out and it's not going to be able to be good anymore. Like and on your powder drill, like power drill, you can't power recharge drill, it yeah, all the way. You can't be recharged, you can't do it, and literally you run out and it's a dead battery. You know, that's really what your lungs end up doing over time is it's like, you know, going down and then to the point where like you can't breathe, you suffocate. I've always had doctors really not have a positive outlook on, you know, you having a future. Because guess what? They've seen them die. They've seen him drive. I had friends that died, you know, all along my life and stuff that I knew. You know, all my friends growing up that I knew are no longer here. And so it's, it was just a crazy thing to literally, as we're growing up, that that's always the mindset. But what was bizarre is we had a different mindset. And when you're in the Lord and you're having that, you know, hold on what the Lord uh, can do for you and, and what He's always giving you, you know, as far as peace and grace and all those things, you know, it was a different mindset that we had. We were like, yes, we are sick, but we're not going to let that, we're not going to let that own us. We're not going to let that keep us, you know, down. We're going to literally walk by faith, you yeah. know, and that was just the, the whole testimony of my whole life is holding fast to the Lord. Not only were Josh and his family at peace with the plan that God had for them, but they were able to embrace it. And at times, it felt obvious that God had given them CF for a specific reason. 
throughout my life, I felt like I had cystic fibrosis for a reason, for a purpose. And I, I felt like probably very early on, I, could, I knew that it was to uh, potentially like be a witness to others. You see throughout scriptures many times that people have traced, uh, like, uh, experienced trials, difficulties, and many times people don't know why. But when you see the end story, you know, oh, wow, like they had to go through all that to come out here. Yeah. And so I felt like that that was probably a lot what my brother and I went through is, is, is we had this to literally show more of what God can do in his glory. You know, so all growing up, we, you know, had that, uh, I, at least I, I believe I had that uh, thought process that he was there for me and he was guiding me and directing me. Whenever we would go to the hospital, we would see other CFers and like see how depressed they were and see how down they were. And it was such a blessing that when we would go to the hospital, like I kind of said before, uh, at times we enjoyed to go in the hospital because that's when we could minister hmm. to the the kids and my parents would minister to the parents, hmm. you know? And so it was like this level of like, we were able to be able to really be, you know, uh, walk, you know, for light for the, for the Lord in, in that area. And so, you know, that was um, kind of something we had, you know, during that time. Were there, mo- I knew for many professing believers, when we are diagnosed with a long-term mm. illness, yeah. that can, that can really shake a lot of people's yeah. faith. Yeah, definitely. It's very testing, very testing throughout all whole time. But, you know, what was crazy is, is because I had that foundation from my parents teaching me the things of the Lord, the Lord just like tremendously gave my brother and I a level and my whole family, a peace and a joy that surpasses, you know, the world and what their typical thought and processes is. is. So, he really helped us through all the times of going to the doctor, dealing with the situations, because we got to witness and we got to do, you know, talk with other CFers, talk with other families. I'm with my people, you know, in a sense, with other people, other CFers, because there wasn't anybody where I was growing up that had CF. Yeah. At all. Yeah. It was only when I went to the, like, the doctor that I, you know, actually talked with and, like, had friends and different stuff that had cystic fibrosis. Because there's only, like, what, 30,000? 30,000 or so in the U.S. that have it. Wow. You know, I know that there was times all often it was kind of a struggle and difficulty because when you're surrounded by all the people that are healthy, you know, and they don't deal with the same struggles in that sense. Yeah. When I go to, you know, um, athletics and try to exercise or try to be, you know, in a team or stuff, like it was difficult because I it was very hard for me to be in that, but... God provided. Now, so far to set up the story, we've only heard from Josh, and that's because a lot of the story revolves around him and cystic fibrosis. But at this point, I want to introduce another character in our story, which is Josh's wife, Amy. I was born and raised into a Christian family, Bible-believing, went to church, very blessed to have that upbringing. Um, I was homeschooled until I was 10, and that was very foundational for me. Um, I made a profession of faith with my sister when we were really young. I was probably maybe eight, something like that. So I don't really have a story of a major conversion of I was 
dark and now I'm white. I was sinful and now I'm clean. Um, although that was the case, um, I think it was just um, gradually God bringing me into more and more light and opening my eyes to Scripture and opening my eyes to His grace and His sovereignty. Now, we'll hear more from Amy soon, but I wanted to make sure that you heard from her to have some more context as the story continues. You'll recall that Josh and his brother were told early on by doctors that they would die while still teenagers, and they definitely would never attend college or have families. But since that childhood diagnosis, the treatment of cystic fibrosis had slightly improved, and some of the symptoms could be partially dealt with, and the effects could be slightly tempered through various medications, surgeries, and other interventions. The disease still resulted in an early death for all patients, but for Josh, even a handful of more years on Earth was an unexpected blessing. If you like to stay up to date with current events, then you'll especially appreciate another podcast I enjoy called The World and Everything in It. It's a daily news program, about 30 minutes long, delivered every weekday morning by Christian journalists from around the world. And they aren't just rehashing the current headlines. They're actually doing investigative, boots-on-the-ground journalism while providing biblical cultural analysis. I started listening to their show about five years ago when we first launched Compelled. And since then, they've become one of my go-to sources for understanding current events from a biblical perspective. But they pull no punches. In fact, they tell the facts just as they are, even when it requires sharing uncomfortable truths. Maybe that's why they're one of the Apple Podcast's top 100 news programs. Join me and thousands of other Christians from around the world who listen to the world and everything in it. Just search for The World and Everything in It in your podcast app or visit WNG.org. The world tells young women to seek popularity, beauty, pleasure, or whatever will make them happy. Yet the more they chase after those worldly dreams, the emptier they become. That's why I'm excited to tell you about a special conference designed for mothers and daughters to encourage them that there is just one thing worth seeking after, Jesus Christ. The conference is called Seeking Christ and takes place at the Ark Encounter in Kentucky, September 20 and 21st. The conference is taught by Sarah Malley Hancock, the founder of Bright Lights Ministry, and includes skits, real-life examples, studies for moms and daughters to do together, and bonus sessions by Ken Ham and Martin Isles from Answers in Genesis. Plus, you'll get to walk through the full-scale replica of Noah's Ark there at the Ark Encounter, which I've actually done and is incredible. Young women will be challenged to seek the Lord first in their lives, deepen their love for God's Word, be rooted in their identity in Christ, gain vision for close family relationships, and shine their light brightly for the Lord. The primary focus is for young women ages 10 to 18 and their mothers, but of course women of all ages are welcome to come. Learn more at brightlightsministry.com. Again, that's brightlightsministry.com. Josh started using various medications and breathing treatments by age four and had been hospitalized around 20 times and undergone various surgeries as a child and teenager. But unlike the doctor's predictions, Josh graduated from high school and enrolled in college where he continued following God faithfully. Apart from using an inhaler, none of his classmates had any reason to suspect that Josh was any different from them. One summer when Josh was a junior, he was especially excited about a new summer job he had lined up. All growing up, I loved going to camp during the summer. 
I enjoyed it. I really, you know, just loved it because loved being in the environment. I loved it. It was a direct thing. And so I, when I got in college, I found out you can go and work in a summer camp during the summer. I was like, oh, this would be great. Because I remember just like being on a high for that first, that week, you know, growing up. Oh, I could all have all summer. That's going to be awesome. I'm going to be really just being that. So I started doing that. So every summer in college, I went and worked at uh, a youth camp. Well, there was, I was, uh, my, and my brother, eventually, when he got to college, he, he went and he was working as well. And so we were working in both at this one, um, we were working at Alto Frio Baptist Encampment. And we, uh, we ended up working there for a certain amount of years. And so we were like, hey, we want to take a break and go to a different camp. Yeah. Just to see what it's like. Well, I started looking at different camps. At that time, I was looking at Baptist encampments because, uh, uh, you know, I just really, you know, enjoyed that type of thing. And so I started looking on the map and I saw that there was this one down in Palacios, Texas, and it's right on the coast. Well, us West Texas boys never seen, you know, the ocean at all. We're like, <laughs> hey, this will be neat. Well, there, there was fishing docks at the there. So we thought we could go fishing every night, you know. We, we were like, yeah, we can we can get done with our work and we can go fish. And so we we're like, hey, we're going to do it. So we uh, we got a, we got hired. And so we, we get down there and uh, Amy was working at this this place as well. So um, I had already done one year of college and was going in a very, very different direction. I was an ROTC um, with every intention of going into the military as an officer. And so the summer that Josh and I met, I was actually supposed to be um, going, I was selected to go to a paratrooper school and jump, learn how to jump out of airplanes. Whoa. <laughs> Thankfully, I had already committed to work at the camp before I found out that I was selected. So it was God's ordinance that I held to my obligation that I had already accepted a job. Were you like seriously tempted to like, eh? Yeah, absolutely. I was really excited about it. Um, but again, God intervened and I went and I went to camp. So in the first week of camp, um, God really, really just worked on me in opening my eyes to the different group that I was around, the different atmosphere that being around Christians is compared to what I had been my first year in college. So after a whole year of going my own way in college, you know, choosing to be whoever I want to be, nobody can see me, I can be the Amy that I desire to immediately being convicted and going, these are Christians, and these are people who have a joy that I haven't seen in a year, who have a um, desire to serve the Lord. And just the joy of being around Christians and the fellowship that Christian believers have together is something that the world not only can't provide, but doesn't even know what it looks like. Like Being around the fellowship of believers is the most beautiful thing, and it's a taste of heaven. So I got that taste of heaven just in the first week of camp. Because you're around other Christian workers. And so camp hadn't even started. It was just worker training. So you're lifeguarding. You're going on trips together. This is what the summer's going to look like. You're getting to know each other. So I remember, um, because I lived at home at the time, um, being at home and getting on my knees and just crying and going, okay, well, here's my plans that I've been planning to go in the military. I was about to sign papers, about to go jump out of airplanes. And now I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like this huge turning point. Um, and I just remember crying and praying very, very specifically. Now, I was praying specifically with 
where does God want me to go to college? What does he want my degree to be? What does he want me to be when I grow up? Kind of direction in my head. Yeah. But I didn't word it like that. So I'm wording it like, oh, Lord, just show me what you want me to do. Show me who you want me to be and direct me in the way that I should go. Yeah. And I need your direction to be specific. I need it to be bold and in my face. I need to not be able to miss it. Like it needs to be very obvious and it needs to be so profound that I never doubt it. Like I want this to be it. And just till the day I die, just know that was what I was supposed to be. Little did Amy know that the direction God would point her would be towards someone that she would meet at camp, a man who was also seeking God's direction for his life. But it was definitely not romance at first sight, anything but that. My semester before I got to that, you know, that summer, I was literally focusing on the Lord as much as possible. Like, you know, I had dated and different, you know, things like that. And I was like, no, Lord, you know, it's you that's going to provide a wife. And I just started doing this. I started praying for my wife. Without knowing who Without knowing who it is. Well, I was literally... I call it repelling women. Repelling. Oh, wait, I, I got to hear this yeah. from Amy now. Oh, yeah. What, what did this? What did repelling women look like? He looks like Abraham Lincoln. He yes. had grown out this long, I had my shaggy beard, and he had huge sideburns. Oh yeah, big sideburns. He was sideburns. not physically attractive. I, I'll I put was it that literally, way. <laughs> like I said, I, I say it. I was trying to repel women and focus on God. So I wasn't very impressed. Yeah. Remember, like in my head, thinking, "What a goober." Yeah. Because he looked funny already. Yeah. He looked like Abraham Lincoln. But he was falling asleep during lifeguard training class. <laughs> I'm like, he's falling asleep when we're learning how to save lives. What is this goober doing? <laughs> to clarify, I had been already trained like three or four times. So yeah, I knew yeah, it yeah. by far. I aced the test. Okay. Yeah. So just yeah. throwing you it out there. Missing anything but yes, yet, I but was yeah. falling asleep up in the front row. Wow. You know, so, yeah. wow. so my first impression of Josh was was not good. <laughs> this West, West Texas guy, yeah, this goober, still in the, stuck in the Civil War. Yeah, yeah, what is he doing? But um, but yeah, it didn't take long to find him extremely funny. He was the funniest person I had ever met. Really? Um, so I was definitely probably attracted to first his reverence for God and his taking things seriously. He took God seriously. He took reading the Word seriously being in charge of, you know, he had his own private study of the Bible. He didn't just do it when people told him to or in a Bible class. Like he was on his own initiating a relationship with God. So that was impressive to me. How it kind of started to be where we started connecting is, you know, you've got a whole summer staff that's like doing different stuff. Well, what started happening was, is they would just watch movies all the time. Like, like during the, the free time. Like free yeah. time. Got it. Like both of us were like, didn't want to watch that. So what we found was we were sitting out the cabin, out in front of the cabin and started talking, like reading scripture. And like, yeah, we, went we actually Proverbs started doing Proverbs and we started doing that. Like it's just as friends, you know, like that's kind of how we just started that. And there was no ulterior motive. No, on not at that point. It just started being where like we didn't want to do what everybody else was doing necessarily. You know, not saying that they were all, you know, they were doing anything bad, but it was just like, it just started where God was working to where we would spend time together doing kind of the things that we were wanting to and just talking about future. Like, what is it that we wanted to do, you know? And you could tell that she served well and like, she loved to serve and loved to help and loved to do things like that. And that was always, I knew that that would be something I'd want in a wife as a hard worker, but, you know, focus, you know, everything like that. But what happened is this. I started, I, when I would be praying for my wife, 
her name would start to pop in. And I'd throw it away. I'd throw it out of my mind. I'm like, no, 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 no. I need to be focused here. I need to, I need to go straight. And it just kept happening, kept happening. And they didn't get a little, you know, a little more severe, okay? And I would be praying for my wife. They'd be seeking, okay? So here's the story. I was praying for my wife that she'd be seeking wisdom, right? And so I'd be praying for that. I walk out of the cabin, and there is Amy reading Proverbs. And I'm like, no! Just got to go away. And so I literally, I just kept fighting that. I kept yeah. having, but there's multiple instances where that would be happening. I'd be praying for my wife, and she'd be doing that. And I'm like, oh, no. And so I literally, I was trying to be standoffish. I was just trying to do whatever I could do to avoid kind of, you know, that type of situation. So it all led up to we found ourselves going to the cafeteria. It was after work, in the evening. We went over with a group of staff because we you can go to the cafeteria and get, you know, your dinner and stuff like that. So we go over there to um, to get dinner and somehow all the other staff disappeared. And it was just us two. And remember, I was trying to be standoffish because I was like, okay, no, this is, this is enough. All right. And so this is where it started going, okay? So she then asked me, he's like, you know, she asked like, hey, you know, what's, is there something wrong? Is there something that matter? So I was like, you know what? Okay. I'm going to part the waves right now. Kind of like I thought in my mind casting lots. Yeah. I was like, okay. So here's what we're going to do. So uh, she asked me, you know, like, hey, you know what's going on? I was like, well, uh, I'm, just, I'm just trying to really figure out whether you're a blessing or a curse. Okay. Oh, think great pickup line. Nice. Think of that. Like, I, that, that, there's one or two situations going to come out of this. She's either going to slap me and walk off, or she's the one. That's what my thought in my yeah. mind. Yeah. You know. And so then she was just like, "I, I know what you mean." And we're like, "What?" And so then we started talking and we started sharing our story of what she was going through, what I was going through, how we were praying for certain things. And like it seemed to be lining up, you know, and and then at that moment, like once we were like, you know, both like, oh, it was like that moment, you know, the clouds separate. It's, oh, it was. You know, that's what it was. And <laughs> it we were was. just like, well, okay. And that was it. We just knew we were the you know one for each other. It was the most wow moment I've mm. ever experienced in my life, of just going, I know. And I know, like, I've never known anything in my life. And I have a peace about it. Like, I've never had a peace about anything in my life. So it's my prayer being answered of, that was obvious. That was bold of God. And that answer has never in my mind been doubted, ever. Now, it's a pretty big deal when Amy says that she has never doubted that Josh was God's plan for her. In fact, there are many reasons why Amy could have questioned whether or not this was the right choice not the least of which was Josh's significant health challenges, which she didn't even know about at the time. Amy wasn't aware that Josh had cystic fibrosis, and if someone had told her, she wouldn't have even known what that meant. But as she gradually found out more about Josh's condition, she grew more convinced that God had a divine plan for her and Josh to spend the rest of their lives together, no matter what that meant. Men with CF, there's like a 98% chance that they cannot have children. So pretty much CF males do not have kids. So that's something that I had to kind of come to grasp with as we're in college. Um, wasn't as big a deal as 
someone might think maybe after you got married and then you found out you couldn't have kids. But again, God just, I think just always giving me that peace that was undeniable that he's the one. So it's going to be okay. And if you don't have kids, you don't have kids kind of a thing. Um, But I think also with Josh saying when he was growing up, just knowing that all of the things that I'm going through, the end is going to be for a reason. Like there's going to be a point looking back where all that makes sense or where that touched somebody's life or that I always thought of our marriage as being a ministry. Like we're going to do something incredible for God. Um, And that's probably fleshly to even say it like that. But I think God's going to do something incredible with our story. And if we can't have kids, it's for a reason. We're going to go serve somewhere or we're going to do a different kind of ministry that we couldn't have done with kids. Or if Josh dies, you know, um, you know, God's just going to provide and he's going to make a way for the things that he's ordained in Josh's life, namely him having CF. Yeah. So was there a point, Josh, when, uh, you, or maybe your parents, uh, said, Hey, Amy, you do realize like, if you marry Josh, like you might be a widow in 10 years kind of thing. Um, I definitely have family members that spoke up. Um, I think it concerned my parents probably on some level, but they also knew Josh and they knew that he was a godly man. And that was the number one thing. And so they had perfect peace about us being together, us getting married. But yeah, I had family members, one in particular that would mention on numerous occasions, different things like, you know, they die. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hear, hearing Ouch. that. So telling, you know, telling somebody that my boyfriend had CF and her going, well, you know, they die. And then as a well, Christian, you know, everyone dies. Because you know. yeah. I'm going as a Christian, well, as a human being, shouldn't we be able to go like, yeah, that can be said for anybody. In nope. fact, and you've mentioned it before, Josh, is that what a unique and amazing blessing it is that Josh has CF that we know we know his life is precious. We know that he could die yes. at any moment. Like that has made our relationship, our experiences so much sweeter and so much deeper. Well, so you guys got engaged at some point. Yeah. <laughs> what I ended up doing was her friends were talking about that her, all, the, all her friends wanted to go camping by themselves. And I was like, this is it. This is the point where I can do it. So I knew of a place that our family grew up, you know, growing up, we went camping a lot. And so I know the perfect place. I know a perfect place where I can propose. So I convinced them, hey, I know this great spot you should go, you know, and it was in Bend, Texas. So she and her friends went. So, but my brother and I, we went early. We got there early. We went out on a trail. I ended up putting red bows all along the trail so that her friends would be able to see that when they go on a hike. So my plan was, is I'd get the girls to go on a hike and then I would be back there and I would propose. Yeah. And so she had no idea. All of her friends knew. She had no idea. I had plans for my parents to come, her family to come. And so we were all there at the camp, uh, the, the, the place and waiting for her. And her friends came. They, they, they spent the night, and the very next morning, I got her friends to go on a camp, you know, like a hike. And so it was great because the, the owners and everything really worked with it. They actually drove me back there. They dropped me off. And so I literally waited for like two hours <laughs> waiting. Well, it turns out I forgot that one of her friends uh, is um, a little person. A little person. And so they were, the, the trail was like two miles. Oh. I forgot. I was like, oh, no. And so they took longer. 
you know? And so I'm waiting there and I'm thinking, oh no, what did I do? You know, and so some of that trail is like hard, rocks and stuff. Yeah. Well, while I'm sitting there waiting, I ended up scaring some hikers because I'm <laughs> hiding behind a rock. Creepy. And so out in the middle of nowhere in this little canyon thing and there's these hikers like, oh, look at that. And then they, they like, they almost jumped in the water, scared themselves. So I was like, hey, shh, don't tell anybody. Because I didn't want them to walk back and go, there's a creeper back there. <laughs> and so they, you know, I, eventually they showed up and uh, they got, I, I, I put a rose out on a rock. I forgot, though, that my wife was the type that it doesn't, like, uh, presume things. Like, she doesn't presume that, hey, I can pick up that rose. Yeah. She's the type that says, hey, well, that's somebody else's, you know. Uh-huh. And so we got her over there. Like, her friends got her over on that rock. And, like, they were trying to get her to pick up the rose. And she's like, no. No. She thought it was some dead lover <laughs> left this, you know, an honor. And I didn't put, I had a nickname for her, Freckles. And I didn't put that on the card. I oh. put it inside. But oh. I didn't put it on the outside. Oh. I remember, she's not thinking anybody. Everybody else knows, right? And so finally, she's like arguing with her friends that I'm not going to pick that up. <laughs> and so finally, I have to step out from the rock and go, hey, just open it already. <laughs> and they're, oh, and she's just gone. Gone. And so I run over and I, you know, just tell her from the moment, you know, and go through this mushy You're stuff, on your you knee, know, on my knees. Trembling. And. As we're getting up, we're hugging, and she didn't say yes. She didn't say yes. She did not say yes. She said something more like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> and so, so we, we basically laughed. At, well, after that, really she didn't say yes. yes. Yeah, I said, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Got married a year later in Marl Falls, Texas. Wow. You know, and so, um, and we left in jet ski. That's one thing I always wow. like to tell everybody Very that impressive. in the whole wedding gown and everything. Well, across. we changed. No, I changed. We did change, but my wa- my mom made a little. She had a little hat that said "bride" and it had a bell on the back. Josh and Amy were married in May 2010 and honeymooned in Alaska, where they went hiking and panning for gold. For many years, they lived a relatively normal life. In the years before they were married, while they were still dating, they had both lived a pretty active lifestyle. Every year of college, they went on mission trips to Los Angeles doing hard labor, working on church construction projects. They both hiked the Grand Canyon and, of course, had worked at camp, which was very physically demanding. As a married man, Josh was now working full-time at another Christian camp. But one year after they were married, he was hospitalized due to severe heat exhaustion and realized that his lungs just weren't what they used to be. He shifted roles at the camp and began working indoors more often over the next few years. It was hard for Josh to step back from serving ministries through physical work in the outdoors, but he knew that it was necessary. But around this time, God began opening the doors for both of them to a new form of ministry. We wanted really kids. We wanted children in our home. Uh, But we knew that ultimately we couldn't have them, you know, directly. And so how we thought that we wanted to be, you know, still have children is we got into the foster care ministry. So what we started is, is we literally uh, got, we went through all the, the, you know, requirements you have to do to become a foster care. Um, and um, we ended up, um, get, you know, getting all that through. And we had our, our first placement. It was like, you know, for about eight days. It was a baby. Uh, and then we had a five-year-old boy and six a week six-week-old girl. 
And these are temporary placements. They're not like long-term. Well, this is foster care. This is foster care. So you could have it for a day or you could have it for years, really. Because the foster care, the way it's set up is, is we were, we were licensed to foster adopt because ultimately that was our heart is we wanted to adopt. Uh, but, but we couldn't get approved for straight adoption. So we started with fostering adopt thinking, you know, we want to we want to go with this mindset of we really want to foster. You know, we knew I had heard from, because of my work that's connected with fostering and such. I knew that like that was a big ministry, and a big thing that's a need is that. And there's so many ki- children out there. Well, anyways, so we get approved and we we're thinking in that mindset. But thankfully, you know, in foster care, like you can have that situation where you 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 can really connect it, right? And then, like they, 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 the kids can go. And so, I realized very early on that we could not have the mindset in foster care of thinking we want to enlarge our family. We need to have the mindset of ministry. And how I got that was that somebody in my work was literally told me that they're like, if you want to go in foster care and you're looking to enlarge your family, you will be destroyed. Hmm. You need to go with the mindset that you're doing it for the kids, ministry. And so we thought, whoever we get, whether they're with us for a time or, or, or not, however long they're with us, we're going to do it as a ministry. And so we ended up having uh, these two kids for about eight months. At the same time? At the same time. They were siblings. They were siblings. We were looking at sibling groups. So we wanted to be able to have, you know, one or more, you know, uh, or two or three kids. And so... Um, we ended up, you know, going through all that. It's a lot to go to become a foster care parent, but we were looking at it in that mindset as, as doing it as a ministry. And we really actually, we really enjoyed it. It was a blessing. It was a blessing for sure. And we were able to, for a time, minister to these kids and to the parents. Because at times you do like visits with the actual like birth parents. And so we were able to try our best to do that. But eventually at eight months, the parents were able to work, you know, and get to the level where they can get the kids back, you know, and so they, they had to leave her home, you know. We would have adopted them the first day that they were, when we, we saw them. We fell in love with them the first day they showed up, but that wasn't the God's plan, you know. And so we, we just literally were like, you know what, they're here. We're going to minister to them. We taught them Bible verses. We, you know, do things like that. Um, so much that, yeah, they left, and we... Um, we were ready for the next ones. Yeah, we were ready for the next ones. But <laughs> yeah. then my health went down south. Summer is here, and so is the chance to take a breather from school. And there's a decent chance that the subject your student is most excited to take a break from is math. But it doesn't have to be that way, especially if you're using CTC Math. Their focus is helping your student learn at the pace that's best for them. Every lesson is fully online with interactive questions and clear explanations. And their video tutorials take difficult concepts and break them down into digestible ideas. But here's the crazy part. They have a 12-month money-back guarantee. That's right. You can use CTC Math for an entire year. And if you don't like it or it didn't work out for you or if you're just unethical, which as a compelled listener, I hope you're not, then you just shoot them an email and tell them that you'd like your money back and they'll gladly refund your entire purchase, no questions asked. There is literally no risk for an entire year. You can't beat that. 
because their heart is to serve your family. That's why they sponsor Compel, so that we can continue creating stories that will bless and encourage your family. And they want to do the same for your students' math needs. So whether summer is a time for your student to catch up, keep up, or move ahead, CTC Math is there. Learn more at ctcmath.com. Again, that's ctcmath.com. Recently, my family has been enjoying Redeem TV. They're a Christian streaming service that's ad-free and fee-free with over a quarter million subscribers spread throughout the world. We love their wide selection of movies, documentaries, and children's programming. And their library of edifying titles is always growing and is sure to have something for you. For your next family movie night, I encourage you to visit RedeemTV.com or download one of their apps to your device or smart TV and start streaming goodness wherever you go. And don't forget, they have no fees and no ads. Get started at RedeemTV.com. Now, up to this point, even though Josh's health had experienced some ups and downs over the years, for the most part, it had been manageable. Yes, there had been some hospitalizations and scares along the way, but those were relatively infrequent. But this was the beginning of something different, a new chapter of increasingly difficult and more frequent medical challenges. At that point, I was only going in the hospital maybe one or two times a year. Well, then it started being you know, three, four, five times a year. And during that time, I had a handful more sinus surgeries. I've had like seven now, six or seven sinus surgeries. I had um, just a lot more of in and out of the hospital, a lot more surgeries, a lot more of just issues uh, to the point where the doctors started pushing for lung transplant. But I pushed it off. I, I was not going to even get there. You know, I didn't think that I was going to be an option for me or anything like that. It wasn't shortly after that. Like, I, I kept having problems where I was coughing up a lot of blood. I was, at, you know, couldn't breathe. And, like, I could, you know, I literally were rushed to the emergency room. And when they pulled the x-ray, they all of a sudden seen that I had literally collapsed lung. And they're like, we have to operate right now. And we're like, what? And it was the most painful thing I ever went through. At this point, we're like, Josh's health, he's going in the hospital multiple times. He's got issues. We can't do foster care again. As much as we would love to do that, um, the situation just wouldn't provide for us to do that. With foster kids, they're going to public school. They have um, appointments. You know, you can't just drop them off with somebody if you have to go to ER. Um, if we had our own child, that would be different because you you could leave them with family, with friends. You'd be more in charge. Interesting. Um, but... We just couldn't do foster care. It wouldn't be fair to Josh's health. It wouldn't be fair to the foster kids. Another door for ministry had closed. And once again, it had been shut by Josh's health. But as it turned out, God was actually opening up a completely different door that they didn't even know about. So we have a really big garage sale. And I take all of the stuff that we've collected over the years for foster care. Because we collected years before we ever even did foster care. Oh, wow. So all of the clothes, all of the kids stuff, anything resembling child things we sell in the garage sale. And about a week or two later, my mom calls, just random, and she asks me, um, like, hey, what are, you, are you and Josh thinking about doing foster care again? I was like, well, mom, you know, Josh's health, you know, it'd be different if we had our own kid, but with foster care, I just don't think we could do that. So no, we're not, I don't think we're going to pursue that again. 
She's like, well, you know, like, would you be open to to adoption? I'm like, mom, we don't like we don't talk about this because that's not an option. Nobody's gonna select us for adoption. We can't afford like going through an organization for adoption. Like, why are we having this conversation? So like, no, mom, we can't we can't do that. We can't afford that. Like, that's impossible. And she's like, well, I'm talking about like um like your pastor. So our pastor and his wife were able to adopt a little girl only a couple weeks old, by having a relationship with the parents and helping them out um, and then just saying, hey, we're here to adopt your child if you ever need more than this support. Like, we're here if you find this too much. And those parents decided to allow um, our pastor and his wife to adopt that child. So here's my mom kind of going, well, if it was a situation like that, would you do it? I'm going, well, yeah, mom. If somebody called us up on the phone and said, do you want my baby? We would take your the baby. Like, kind of scoffing it, that's preposterous. Like, that's not going to happen. Like, that doesn't just happen to people. You can't just say that. And so, but if it did, yeah, we'd be open to having a baby. But that's never going to happen. So she has this conversation with me. She's like, okay, okay, I won't ask you more questions. And she gets off the phone. Either the, later that day or the next day, my dad calls. My dad like rarely calls. It's always, you know, me talking to him through my mom or something. So he calls and he's asks, so are you and Josh, have y'all thought about doing foster care? And I'm like, what is it with you? What are y'all doing? Why really are you random calls, asking guys. asking me this? And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, mom called me and asked me if we had thought about doing foster care. And he says, well, would y'all be open to adoption? I'm like, okay. Starting to think maybe they There's know something. Here. Okay. So Your I'm parents like, parents are having a baby. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm like, yes, we would be open to adoption. Like, where is this going? Do y'all know something? And he was like, well, well, I don't want to talk about it on the phone because I don't know if it's going to happen or not. But you and Josh just need to pray about it. Like, so he hasn't told me anything. I'm kind of under the insinuation that maybe they know somebody or have heard of a situation. And I'm like, in my head, I'm going, I don't have to talk to Josh about it. Like, Josh would be like, yes. We'll take the baby yeah. now. Let's go kind of thing. Easy so call. I tell Josh about it when he gets home from work and he's like, yeah. So we tell my parents, whatever y'all are insinuating, whatever's going on, the answer on our part is yes. Um, doesn't matter about Josh's health. Doesn't matter about what the future holds. We would be willing to raise a child in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So um, he goes, okay, well, there's somebody that we know through somebody who found out that she's going to have a child and she might be giving y'all a call. And I think it was a week later, Josh and I got a phone call from a woman who we have never met who said, would you like to be the parents of my child? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So You'd never met this person? Never. never met her. So Lily's birth mom is Catherine. And Catherine's mom and my mom have a mutual friend. And yeah. that is how... This friend of a about. friend, friend. Yeah. Thankfully, that mutual friend is a very godly woman, and had been talking about us over the years um, to her friend, and um, that had gotten back to Catherine. And so, when Catherine found herself in this situation, she thought of us, and she knew that Josh had CF. It wow. did not matter. Wow. Um, she actually had a friend who died of CF. Wow. Um. So for like, this is God. This doesn't happen. One, yeah. you don't get a phone call from a perfect stranger asking if you want their baby. Yeah. Um. If you would raise their child for them, and you especially don't expect that to happen with somebody who knows the situation, who knows that Josh goes in the hospital, who knows that he has CF, and who knew somebody who passed away from that. 
So it was a very unique situation. Um, so we ended up meeting Catherine, um, I think two or three times before the birth. Um, we had told nobody. Our attorney knew and my parents knew. And my parents only knew because it was a contact through them. But you didn't tell anybody We didn't else. tell anybody because we wanted to support Catherine, even if that was, like, if we're thinking, if God's will is just to give her the support to get her through this time period, that she chooses life for this child, and we're there as like an aunt and uncle, and we're, you know, we're just helping. If that's what God's will is, we need to be open to that. And so if we tell everybody we know that we're gonna have this baby, we don't want people, if she changes her mind, mm. to then go, how dare her change her mind and crush your hopes and dreams? No, that, that's the biological mother. She has every right to love that child and wanna keep it. So we wanted, for the sake basically more for Catherine's sake um, than our own. Because um, we knew how to guard our hearts. We had learned that with foster care as well, just mm. doing it as a ministry for the child, for the parent. Um, so we didn't tell anybody. So we go to the hospital. Um, she has the baby. I got to cut the umbilical cord. Oh, wow. So you, you were in the room. <laughs> we, I, was I was in the room. Josh was listening at the door. I was listening, waiting for the cry. Yeah, he heard her cry through the door. And so we were with her from then on. We had our own room. Um, just down the hallway from Catherine. Two days later, they signed over rights. And at that point, once the papers were signed, so she's 48 hours old, we called people. That is too cool, guys. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. powerful. It's very much a, another one of those things where the clouds open up and God just opened the, the door because it literally was a, whereas, you know, we see closed door. Yeah. You know, many times, you know, in your life, you you think there's something, you want something you desire, but you're just like, no, that's a closed door. That's impossible. Yeah. yeah. With man, it is impossible. Yeah. yeah. With God, it is completely possible. And he opened up the doors. It was just another big moment of blessing tremendously. Yeah. Josh, yeah. Josh says that um, God giving us Lily is just God showing off. Oh, yeah. Because showing like, off. It got, that yeah. we would be able to raise a child is a yes. miracle. Yes. Josh and Amy named their daughter Lily Rahab Glasscock and brought her home from the hospital. As you might imagine, everyone was shocked that they had a child. Because as you remember, they had told virtually no one that they were adopting a baby. 14 months later, on April 11, 2018, they invited their friends and family to come to the county courthouse and witness the official adoption of their baby girl, Lily Ray. For some reason, that day was like one of the best health day that I had had a long time leading up to that point. And so we get up to the thing, and it's like upstairs. At that point, I have not really been able to do stairs like a whole lot. I was getting really winded to the point. I was going up and back the stairs, no problem, that day. Wow. It was great. It was God just opening wow. that. But we get there, and we have over 100 people show up to support us. Standing packed, room only. Packed courtroom. <laughs> And, like, I felt bad because on that day, there was, like, other people there getting divorced and other stuff, you know. Like, there was issues. So there was sadness all there. And we're, like, bringing just, like, joy. The judge walks in, and I'll never forget her face. She walks in, just comes over, and, like, just eyes open, like, shocked. She's like, i never seen the courtroom. I've never had the courtroom this full. Like, she was blown away. And she's like, and I'm pretty sure I know why. And so she's like, all right, so for the very first, let's go ahead and let's do this adoption, you know? And so it was great. We got up there and uh, our, our, our attorney led it and he, you know, got us to be able to, you know, say uh, our certain things of how we we're going to be there for her and do the things like that. And we 
And so he was able to like, you know, hold us accountable. And then he was able to lead it to everybody to, to agree to hold us, you know, to support us and be there for us. And the judge is just like almost in tears, really, because it was she was so moved by this whole thing that the judge even was like, yeah, I, I want to be part of that. Wow. So much the judge was loving it to the when we got to uh, do a picture like she was like, can I hold? And Lily just put her arms out. And so she was able to hold Lily. Oh, man. And like, it was just this whole thing of we had so much support. You know, we had the blessing all the way through. Now, in case you're wondering, there is way more to Josh and Amy's story, and we will tell it in part two next week in a whole other episode. But there's already so much to reflect on. And three things immediately come to mind. First, the attitude that Josh and his family adopted when they realized that Josh and his brother had been diagnosed with a terminal sickness. Instead of growing angry at God or falling into a victim mentality, they embraced the trial that God had given them and chose to live for His glory, no matter how short their time on earth might be. Second, how God changed the heart and affections of Amy, a perfectly healthy young woman who set aside her dreams of being a military officer and instead married someone with an incurable disease knowing very well that she would become a young widow. And finally, the joy and anticipation that Josh and Amy have exhibited throughout their marriage and their life together. Even though Josh has a life-threatening disease without a cure, they eagerly seek ways to minister to others and share the love of Christ that has been lavished on them so abundantly. And of course, the improbable and miraculous adoption of Lily Ray is simply icing on the top. Or as Josh and Amy would say, God simply showing off. We'll continue the second half of the Glasscock story next week, and trust me, you don't want to miss it. Josh's cystic fibrosis will take a turn for the worse, and he and Amy will be confronted with several life and death decisions. Only God will carry them through the storms ahead. This episode was produced by me and my wife, Sarah Hastings. Our editor is Zach Fowler. Our production intern is Ethan Adams, and our music outro is by Ben Jackson and Brian Facchino. I'm your host, Paul Hastings, and you've been listening to Compelled. We'll be back next Tuesday with the remainder of Josh and Amy's story. But stay tuned for a sneak peek. At this time, when we're going through all this and it's being rushed, I'm taking pictures left and right. I'm asking them to take a picture. I'm kissing him so many times I can't even count. And I'm just like wanting him to know I love you because I didn't think that I would see him again. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com.